Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, good morning and welcome to those that are watching online and those that are in-house today. It's so good to have you here. We've been asking a question, and that question is, what is the wise thing to do? Now, what do we do when we don't know the answer to that question? What is the wise thing to do? So we've been looking at a passage of Scripture. It's in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, where it says this, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Now, I've been reading that verse to myself uh, for several weeks now, and I've been reading that verse to you, and every time I read that verse, I think, I bet there's a lot of people that find that offensive. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. I mean, how dare God say something like that? How dare? And, and I imagine there's a number of people that get offended when they hear that kind of thing or other things that are difficult in Scripture, uh, because we live in a very offended kind of culture right now. Uh, it, pe- people will be offended very easily, and if they are offended, then everybody else uh, who has offended them, they are wrong, and they get canceled. But there is a difference uh, between uh, offense given and offense taken. There are times where people give offense, and they mean it to be offensive. And then there's other times that there, is pe- there are people who are offended, but there was nothing said that was meant to be taken as an offense. And so today, if people are offended, they feel offended, well then, you know, my feelings are justified and you're wrong. How dare you? You better apologize or I'm canceling you. So how dare God say something like, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever lives kind of a man-centered, self-centered kind of life, man, that's a, you're a mess. How dare God say that I am a sinner in need of a Savior? That's offensive. But God isn't giving offense. Now, the world takes offense because we don't want to hear that kind of thing. And so as God talks about things like whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, he's not giving offense. He wants something for you. He he wants you to be able to embrace truth and wisdom without just simply being offended and writing it off. So whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So we've been asking, what's the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do in light of my past experiences and my present circumstances and my future hopes and dreams? What's the wise thing to do? But what do you do when you don't know the answer to that? Because there's moments in our life when we're faced with that kind of question of what the wise thing is to do, but it's hard to know, especially like if there's a lot of emotion that's involved in the decision, right? If you've got like, if you're in love, it begins to cloud your decision-making. If you're in love with a decision or an idea or you're in love with a location, that feeling of love begins to to cloud your decision-making process. Or if you're really negatively impacted, you have a negative emotion, like you're mad or or somebody said something and hurt your feelings and you've been offended. If there's that kind of energy, you, you may just make a decision based on the heat of the moment. And my guess is, Some of your greatest regrets when you look back at decisions that you have been made have been made when there's all that emotions in the heat of the moment you made a decision that you regret. 
Then, then there's other times that we make decisions and it's difficult because we're being asked to make a decision like right now, on the spot, in the moment. And, and you may not have all of the information or all the education or, or all of the experience that you need to make a wise decision in that moment. And then there's other, other times where maybe you're the leader and sometimes when you're the leader, you, you think, well, I got to know everything. I'm the one who has to have all of the answers, right? If you're the leader, you're the supervisor, you're the, you're the boss, you're the parent, you think, well, I got I to gotta know all the answers. I've got to make a decision. But here's a little secret that wise people know. Wise people know what they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do know. Wise people know what they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do know. They don't pretend. They, they, don't, they don't fake it. They, they aren't just trying to you know, bluff somebody. Wise people realize there's a, there's a limit to their knowledge. There's a ceiling to their knowledge. And they realize where that's at, and then they're willing to go ask other people. Some people just think, well, wise people, they know everything. No, they don't. They don't know everything. They know what they don't know. And they're not afraid to find people who do know so that they can then speak into their life. That's what makes them wise. They know who to go to. I remember when I was going off to college, my mom told me, uh, you're, you're going to be tempted to, to have all the information, Chris. There's, there'll be teachers, the professors, they, they'll ask you a question and they'll expect you to know it. But look, you don't need to have all the knowledge. Knowledge isn't having all of the answers. Knowledge is knowing where to go to find the answers. And I thought that was wise. And that's the same thing with wisdom. You don't have to have all the wisdom in the world, but you need to be able to know to where you should go to find wisdom, to find wisdom and to find other people who are wise because wise people know what they don't know. And they're not afraid to go to those who do know. I mean, the wisest man who ever lived, do you know his name, the wisest person who ever lived? Solomon, right? King Solomon. God, God gave Solomon wisdom. He was wiser than anybody else. Like He was a poet. He was a writer. He was a leader. He's a scholar. And the wisest person in the world had more to say about going and seeking advice than anybody else. You would think that the wisest person in the world would have the least to say about getting counsel from others. Why is that? Because he's the wisest person in the world. He realizes that wisdom is found not just simply in me knowing everything, but having the wisdom to know what I don't know and to go to those who do know. So this is what he says in Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. And then Proverbs 12.15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That kind of goes back to what we read before. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Here he says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Wise people know what they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do know. Wise people never get so wise that they never need any more advice. They realize that they do, and that's what makes them wise. So today, in order to kind of look at that idea, we're going to go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 41. So if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 41, the very first book in your Bible, chapter 41. Now, as you're turning to Genesis, I just want to give you some principles, some things to to think about. And the first one is this, the decisions that you make privately will eventually become public knowledge. The decisions that you make privately will eventually become public 
knowledge. Like if you're thinking about getting a house, that, that can be private for a little while. You can have some conversations about that. But when you move, people are going to know new address. Uh, you can make some decision about buying a car, and that can be you know, your own decision for a bit, but eventually people will know. Uh, if you're dating someone, uh, that'll be public knowledge. If you're dating somebody new, that will be public knowledge. And if you're going to change your job, eventually that's going to become public knowledge. The decisions that you make in private eventually are going to become public knowledge. Now you might say, all right, Chris, there are some things that I have decided and I have done in private that nobody else knows. For now. For now. Because there is one who, who knows all things and is recording all things. Like he's, he's keeping tabs. He has the best DVR ever. And everything is recorded. Like, to, to see this, in, in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, the seventh seal is opened, and that is the seal of judgment. And the Bible says that when the seal of judgment is opened, that there is silence in heaven for a half hour. Do you know why there's silence in heaven for a half hour? Everybody's like, snap. Everything I have ever done is known by God, recorded by God. And we'll be judged by God. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover us. Because somebody needs to be accountable for sin. And when those books are opened, there's silence. Every mouth is shut. Because everybody knows there's no getting out of this. The one true judge who has seen everything that I have ever done knows. And it will be exposed. So you might say for now, nobody knows. But one day, every decision, everything that you have done will become public knowledge. But for now, on this side of heaven, even in those simple kinds of decisions that you make, it will become public knowledge. Now, here's the second thing I want to say. Many of the decisions that you make will be judged by people around you. Now, when I say that they're going to be judged, I just simply mean people are going to be forming opinions about the decisions that you make. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we talk about people. All right, don't, right? You, you, well, how dare you talk about people? You form, you form opinions, right? Don't we kind of watch friends or family and we're like, can't believe he tweeted that. Can't believe she said that. Can't believe she wore that. Can't believe they bought that car. I can't believe they're going on another vacation. I can't believe they spend their money that way. I can't believe they listen to country music. We all form opinions, don't we? We all do that. And here's the deal. You have a group of people around you that are forming opinions about you. No, they don't. Yes, they do. You're talking about them. They're talking about you. And this is one of the things that pastors know really, really well. Because pastors, we live in a fishbowl. I call it the people aquarium, where everything is watched. Everything that is done, everything that the, you know, the family does, everything that is said, everything is judged. After this message, you're going to get in your car. If you're riding with somebody else, you're going to talk about this sermon. You're going to talk about uh, whether it was good or bad. You're going to sit down and eat with somebody, and you're going to evaluate, well, that was a good one or that was a bad one. He never has a good one. Uh, how, long, how long was the message? You're going to have all of these kinds of things. What, 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 what did he wear? Uh, how much spit flew out of his mouth as he's talking? Like You're going to talk about it. I, we, we are in a people aquarium. This is just the way that it is. Uh, last week, I wore a tie. Every time I put on a tie, 
I brace myself for conversations because everybody has an opinion about what I'm wearing. I go, I like your tie. You look good today. Not normally, but today you look a lot better. When I, when I had my beard, I had people walking up to me and saying, quote, I don't like your beard. I don't know if you've ever had that, but pastors get that. And I get it. No offense taken. Like, I know you're not offending me. You're like, I have to look at your face so I have an opinion about it. Right? I get it. I get it. No, no offense taken. Like, if you are easily offended, don't get into ministry because everybody feels like they can just say whatever they want and the pastor is going to be just like, <laughs> yes. Okay, that's nice. And not only are your private decisions eventually going to be judged and everybody's going to kind of know about it, but there's this, the decisions that we make affect other people. The decisions that we make may affect other people. It may may affect people that you work with, may affect people that you live with, may affect yourself. And this is why wise people end up making wise decisions. They, They don't make decisions on their own. They, they realize wise people know what they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do know. So, you know, the decisions that I, I make as, as a pastor, as a parent, uh, as a boss, that affects people's lives. And what you do affects people's lives. And so the question is, if the result of the decision is going to be known publicly, judged to some degree publicly, may even affect other people, why not get people involved in the front end of the decision-making? Why not just go ahead and ask them in advance? This is how wise people make wise decisions. They find wise people, and they're like, hey, what do you think I should do here? You're, you're wise. I respect you. No, no offense taken. Like, you, you can go ahead and speak into my life. Doesn't it just make sense? Like, I, I, I'll just go ahead and invite wise counsel because people are going to talk about it anyway. So why don't I find those who will speak truth and life? Wise people know what they don't know, and they're secure enough to go to those who do know. Foolish decisions are made when we ignore this principle. Foolish decisions are made in the heat of the moment. Foolish decisions are made if we're the leader, the boss, and we think, well, i got to know everything, and whatever I say goes. That's when there's a problem. So again, Genesis 41. I want to talk about an account of a guy named Joseph. Now, we talked about Joseph a couple of weeks ago. Now, now Joseph, uh, it kind of following the lineage of how we get to Joseph, you got Abraham, and so God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to trust me, and in faith, I'm going to make you into a great nation, the nation of Israel. So Abraham has a child. He has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has Joseph and a whole bunch of other brothers. And if you recall, when we talked about Joseph, his other brothers really didn't like him. Uh, they formed an opinion about him. They're like, we want to get rid of him. So they threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. And eventually Joseph winds up in Egypt in the house of a guy named Potiphar. And remember, Potiphar's, Mrs. Potiphar comes and, and approaches uh, him to sleep with him. And what does Joseph do? He, he makes a wise decision and he ran. He ran away from sexual immorality. And do you know what happened? Do you know his reward for running away and doing the right thing, the wise thing? He was thrown in jail. Which means sometimes you can make a wise decision and pay some kind of consequence. There there could be repercussions of a wise decision because God isn't just simply interested in making everything perfect and every decision you make is going to make you happy. No, he wants you to make godly decisions and then leave the results to him. The results aren't yours. You be obedient. 
You do the right, wise, godly thing, and the results are his. And so Joseph winds up in prison, and that's where we last saw him. But Joseph is going to stand before Pharaoh, the leader of all of Egypt. And the way that happens, it goes like this. Pharaoh, top guy, has a dream, and he wants his dream interpreted. Now, you need to understand, Pharaoh is like God. What he says goes. Like, if he doesn't like the way that you're looking at him, he doesn't like what's going on, he could kill you. Mind your P's and Q's around Pharaoh. So he tells his dream to all the wise people he can gather around him, and he says, interpret the dream. And they say, probably sheepishly, we we can't. Sorry, we can't. And it's at that moment that the wine bearer in, in his court, the wine bearer does one of these. Oh, I forgot to tell you. We met this guy in prison. His name is Joseph. And I, the cupbearer and the baker, we had a dream. And this Joseph dude, he interpreted our dream. And he said that I would be replaced and put back into my position as cupbearer and that the baker would have his head lopped off, chopped off by you, which you did. Thank you for choosing him and not me. I'm not quite sure what they did there. I don't know if the cupbearer and the baker, there was a bad meal or maybe they were judging his beard. One way or another, one of them's dead. And he's like, but he can interpret a dream. Get Joseph. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, now 30 years old, in prison. And Pharaoh has Joseph stand in front of him. Pharaoh tells him the dream and says, interpret it. And Joseph, filled with the Spirit of God, says, the interpretation of your dream is this. There's going to be seven years of plenty for Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Now, Joseph is there. He's in the room before Pharaoh just to interpret the dream and then go back to prison. Interpret the dream, exit Joseph, stage left. But Joseph does something and decides that he's going to give advice to Pharaoh. God, top dog, lawmaker, grand poobah, Pharaoh. This is gutsy. Joseph says, verse 33, Now therefore, seven good years, seven bad years, therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. No one, I don't think no one has ever said this to Pharaoh before. Pharaoh, this job is too big for you. Find a wise person and put that person in charge. Can you imagine somebody coming to you and telling you how to do your job? Don't we bristle? Especially if it's not somebody in the same field as you. Who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do? I used to think this way. You know, when people would come up to me and they'd tell me how to pastor and how to preach and how to lead. And I'd be like, look, I don't come to your place of business and tell you what to do. There'd just be this thing that kind of bristles on the inside. Like when I, when I get on a plane this evening, Lord willing, to go on vacation, I don't think the people sitting in the seats are going to leave the seats and go up to the pilot and tell the pilot, hey, here's where we're going to be flying and here's how you do it. No, no, who does that? Who goes and don't we just kind of bristle and doesn't it just like, well, what are you, why are you telling me to, how, to do my job? I saw this firsthand when I lived in California. We're planting a church out there. In the home that we moved to, our neighbor, I should really say we lived under the same roof because we had a, a duplex, 
that you should really pray about if you're moving into a duplex, uh, who your neighbor is. We're separated by a wall, and this is a middle-aged man, single guy, and this guy knows everything. I mean everything. It's miraculous. He had no job, but he knew everything. And he would tell you how to do everything. Like, no, if you're going to sweep your walk, you do it this way. That kind of guy is the kind of guy that God brings into your life to kind of shape your character. And you're like, God, please, let me be shaped already. Either I move or he moves. Something's got to happen. This person knew it all. Bless his heart kind of person. And so one day I had a plumbing emergency and I had to get a plumber that came in. So the plumber comes, never met this guy before. And as he's walking in, he meets my neighbor. And the neighbor begins to tell the plumber how to do his job. And I start seeing this plumber, kind of a rough, tough kind of guy, just get like red in the face. I thought he was going to punch my neighbor, but he didn't say anything. He just walked away, really kind of upset, and started to work on some plumbing stuff. And so it's about, you know, 30 minutes, an hour. And this guy's going back and forth. The plumber's in and out. And then about an hour later, my neighbor comes over, rings the doorbell, and says, come out here. Hey, Chris, do you know how the window on my truck got broken? I got an idea. And the plumber comes out, and all three of us are standing there, and I'm like, I know how this broke. Like, there are no rocks out here. We're looking for rocks and sticks and a golf ball. We live near a golf course, and there's none of that. And the plumber's just like, and walked back into my house. And I'm like, stop with the plumber. You could blow my toilet up. I have no idea what's going to happen. Don't we just bristle? Like somebody comes in and tells you how to do your job? If you're in sales and somebody comes and tells you how to do sales and they're not in sales, come, come on. If you're a mom and somebody walks up to you and tells you how to raise your kids, don't the walls go up? Pharaoh listened. He decided to listen and not break Joseph's window. Verse 34. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. Man, this is smart, right? Take 20%, save it up, and then put it in Pharaoh's name. He goes on, Joseph says, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish. Through the famine, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and his servants. All the the servants are like, hey, this is fantastic. Like, we're not going to have our heads chopped off today. Yay for Joseph. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Joseph is wise. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was wise. Pharaoh was wise. He knew wisdom when it was standing right in front of him. Many people would have thrown him out. Look, get back to jail. Why should I listen to a convict? And yet, he embraced it because wise people know what they don't know, and they know truth when they hear it, and they're not afraid of the truth. And isn't that something we all long for? Like, just give us some truth. 
Enough with the spin. Enough with the politics. Just somebody spit the truth, please. And not being afraid of the truth and embracing wisdom is what God calls us to do. And, and so Pharaoh did that. And so when the seven you know, good years are over and the seven bad years come, that's the point at which everybody in Egypt, they come to Joseph and they start buying food from him. And then when they run out of money, they, they sell their land to Pharaoh. And when they run out of land, they just simply sell themselves to Pharaoh. We have nothing less left. We're just going to be your servants. So Pharaoh owned everything in Egypt. And not only that, other nations needed to start coming and buying their food from Egypt as well. And so without ever going to war, Pharaoh now controls all these other nations because he knew what he didn't know and he was not afraid of wisdom and truth when he heard it. That's wisdom. No one is so successful that you ever get to a point where you no longer need wise counsel. Solomon was not so wise that he didn't need advice. Pharaoh was not so powerful that he no longer needed to take outside information. You need it. I need it. The president of the United States need it. We all need wisdom, wise counsel, and every wise person knows when they don't know. And I would just say, you will never, ever reach your full potential without utilizing the wisdom of other people. That's why you need to get other wise people around the table. You, You need to look for people who are wise, and then you need to just go ahead and embrace the fact that there may be some people who aren't on the same level in your organization or above you in your organization. They may be a few steps down, but there's wisdom, and you get the right people around the table so that you might be able to hear the truth and to hear wisdom in the moment. Do you know when we think that we don't need this kind of thing? I'm not sure exactly of the age, but haven't we all been kind of in this place, maybe as a young adult or we're in college, and we think all that we need to know is what I know. And we never invite any other wisdom. We never search for truth. We think we've got it all figured out on our own. But people who are successful know this, and not just in life. I was thinking about this. Tiger Woods, arguably one of the best golfers ever. Tiger Woods had a coach. His coach wasn't a better golfer than Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was at the top of his game. Michael Jordan had a coach. Peyton Manning, coach. Little Tommy Brady has a coach, right? There's, you know, we understand this in sports world, but somehow when we get to life, we think, oh, I don't need anybody else. I've got this thing all figured out. I don't need wisdom. I don't need truth. I know. I'm just going to go my own way. But you'll never reach your full potential without seeking wisdom. And sometimes that counsel comes from unlikely places. So it's a mistake to think the only people that I can listen to are people on the same level as me or my peers that have kind of reached a place beyond me. You're going to miss out on opportunities. Pharaoh found it from the prison, from a convict, and yet he was open to wisdom and truth. Let me me ask you this, just real practically. Is everybody wise? No. Right? We know this. Not everybody is wise. The Bible tells us that the companion of fools suffers harms, and there's a lot of fools. There are a lot of people who are foolish and will not give you wise advice. And so you must be discerning. Pharaoh was discerning in the moment. You must be discerning. You might be thinking, okay, well, how do I find somebody who's wise? 
I, I would encourage you to find somebody, find someone who trusts in the wisdom of God. Somebody who looks to the only true wise one and what he has said and somebody who follows that. Look for somebody who has the fruit of the Spirit of God in their life. Like they've got a trail of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Look for people who, who, who don't call good evil and evil good. Because there's a whole bunch of people out there who are going to decide, well, let's go ahead and call things that are evil good because times they are a-changing. Find somebody who isn't man-centered, self-centered, but who is God-centered. You invite them to speak into your life. You find someone who is for you and longs to see you walking on a path of righteousness and will tell you the truth in love, even when that truth is hard, even when that truth might be offensive. Find that person. Invite them to offer wisdom. Who knows the source that God wants to use to you know, invite wisdom into your relationships or into your business or into your finances? It can come from unlikely sources. We tend to just you know, dismiss people based on their station of life or their age or something like that. That's a mistake because wisdom can come from an unlikely, unlikely messenger like Joseph out of prison. Do you know why I think we've got a problem with this kind of thing? I think it's because we don't want to know what the wise thing is. I think we don't want to go to wise people because we already know what they're going to say. And we just want to keep doing our thing. We, we just want to live as if, you know, I'm the Lord of my life and I'm just going to make my own decisions. I don't really need to hear wisdom. I don't need to find wisdom. I'm just going to go ahead and push that away and I'm going to do my own thing. In fact, I think I'll find some people who will tell me what I want to hear. Maybe you're wrestling with a decision and there's a lot of emotion that's involved in that decision. Let me just encourage you, invite some wise person into that decision. Maybe you're the leader and you're thinking, man, I I just have to know it or I'm going to have to pretend and fake like I know it. Go ahead and invite someone else into that decision. You might say, well, this is nobody's business. Nobody's beeswax. Eventually, it's going to be their business. They're going to make a decision. They're going to form an opinion. In fact, they may be affected by it. So why not invite wisdom on the front end of the decision? What's the wise thing to do? The wise thing to do may be to say, I know what I don't know, and I'm not afraid to go to those who do know. Would you be willing in your life to embrace wisdom? Now, there's different wisdom in this world. There's the wisdom of God, and there's the wisdom of the world. Would you be willing to seek wisdom from the source of all wisdom. There is a fountain of wisdom, and it flows from the throne of God. And he has given us his mind on the matter. There is wisdom found within the pages of Scripture. Romans 16, 27 says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. He is wise. Now, there's a worldly wisdom. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Proverbs 3.7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Would you be willing to submit your life to the source of wisdom, to the source of truth, which is God, your maker? And he has given us his thought on the matter. He has given us his word. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And to ignore it, Ignore the wisdom. We do so 
at our own peril. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but whoever walks in wisdom will be delivered. Would you be willing to entrust your life to the only wise one, the creator, the maker of all things? It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. He is the one who invites us to embrace wisdom, to invite us to embrace his son, Jesus Christ, who out of his deep love would come to us in the midst of our sin and shame and rebellion against God and declare that there is good news. You can be saved from your sins. But that gospel, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the wisdom of God to save, to embrace the truth that your Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to bear your sins on the cross, to cover them so that you don't have to pay for them. He was buried in a grave, and three days later, he rose to life, defeating the grave to give us life so that we might live with him forever. To embrace that kind of wisdom will make a difference now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you in your wisdom to allow us to hold your word passed down now for centuries so that we might know your mind, your heart, your character, who you are. Father, I thank you that in your wisdom, you begin to reveal who you are to an open heart, people with open ears, open eyes to what you are doing spiritually. Thank you, Father, for each and every heart that would be willing to say, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And while that may be offensive to those who are perishing, to those of us who know that we need you, our Savior, to those of us who have tried hard to apply worldly principles for us to get self-help books off of the shelves, there is no other answer. There is no other wisdom to be found other than you. So, Lord Jesus... Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I praise you that you rose from the grave. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. Today I profess faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to possess that faith and possess the person of Jesus Christ who lives in me and I in him. Lord, I want to walk with you. And I want to walk a path of righteousness, a path that is filled with wisdom that comes from you and wise counsel around me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.